Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to the Sunday Lexio of God's Planning. I'm Father Patrick Briscoe. I'm here in Providence, and I'm joined by my confrere, Father mm, Jacob Bertrand Jansik, in Washington, D.C., as you all know, Father Jacob Bertrand is the vocation director for the province of St. Joseph. So maybe in quarantine, you've had time to think about your life and uh, you're, ready to, you're ready to pursue a vocation with the Dominican Friars. Um, if you're a young lady, Father Jacob Bertrand can recommend a great monastery. You know, there are plenty of, plenty of places to go be a cloistered nun. You've already had the practice of quarantine, you know, so you're ready to be locked in your room your whole life because it hasn't been that bad these last few weeks. Um, there you go. Thriving. So, Thriving. You know, just got the options out there. Maybe people are thinking these things. Uh, it's, today, good to put, it's good to put it out there. Yeah, for sure. Today, today we're um, coming together to discuss the Sunday readings um, during the continued um, COVID pandemic, 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 that's not a word, during the current COVID pandemic, um, the Dominican fathers who produce God's planning, um, have been committed to um, leading reflections to the readings. Our goal is to make the liturgy more accessible, more meaningful, to give a lasting impression, to aid people in their prayer um, and their meditation. Um, the readings have a lot to say to us. In fact, I, I saw this quote the other day. Um, a friar just mentioned it to me, actually, about St. John Chrysostom, who said that just one line of scripture has enough power in it to be a viaticum. Viaticum is, of course, I've heard that before. Viaticum is, of course, our last communion, right? The 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 last receiving of the sacrament before we die. But but Saint John Chrysostom says that one one line of scripture has that kind of power in it. Um, so during this time, especially, we can cling to the scriptures. We can know that God is continuing to bestow His grace through our prayer and meditation, and um, we can have a real we can have a real confidence in that, a real hope in that. Uh, so with that, let us pray as we begin this meditation this, uh, this day. God of everlasting mercy, who in the very recurrence of the Paschal Feast kindle the faith of the people you have made your own, increase, we pray, the grace you have bestowed that all may grasp and rightly understand in what font they have been washed, by whose spirit they have been reborn, by whose blood they have been redeemed through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Our first reading for this Sunday for Divine Mercy Sunday is from the Acts of the Apostles. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and divide them among all according to each one's needs. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to breaking bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exultation and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
This selection of Acts of the Apostles, which showcases the early church, um, is so powerful uh, for us as Dominican friars, um, as religious, because it's, it really shows forth the heart of Christianity, right? This is, this is gospel 101. This is how to live like a Christian, um, to devote oneself to the teaching of the apostles, not making up any teaching by yourselves, right? But, but as St. Paul says, handing on what you've received, to, to accept the teaching of the apostles, to be devoted to the communal life, to a shared life, it's not just my life I live, but the life of all of the Christians dwelling together, the, the life of the community, to the breaking of the bread, that means the Eucharist, and to the prayers, which we might interpret as the liturgy of the hours, as the, as the full recitation of the Psalms, the, the duty we have of praying for the church. These are the marks of what a, of what a um, full Christian life looks like. And religious are dedicated especially to that. So that this is the structure of religious life from the beginning. It comes from the Acts of the Apostles. It's not just something we made up. It's not something that someone thought was a really great idea, but it was handed over to us, um, taught by Christ, and then listed here in this beautiful section in just these, these few lines of Acts of the Apostles. Um, and so in that way, religious life, so you thought I was just making a cheap plug at the beginning of this episode, but in that way, religious life is, is really a continuing of what the early church was. Where can you see, oh God, you can say to yourself, oh gosh, I wish Christians still live this way. Where are there some Christians who live like this? Where can I see Christianity like this? Well, I got to tell you, it, it's in my house. It's, I know it's in Father Jacob Virgin's house. This, this, is, this is what our life means, to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles. We're not making it up here. We're handing on what has been handed on to us to be given over to the community, uh, the communal life, the life of the community, not just my own life, but the life of the brothers, to the breaking of the bread, to our daily celebration of the Eucharist as priests of Jesus Christ, and to the prayers, to the office that we have um, to pray, the divine office, to pray the liturgy of the hours for, um, for, the, for our own good, for our, the salvation of our own soul and the souls of all, all, all of the church. Yeah, and one of the things about religious life, as Father Patrick was was saying, is that religious life is not a sort of um, its own. It's not its own creation, and it's not some sort of like third kind of way, or you know, something kind of that's that comes out of nothing. That is just kind of poof, right? But that religious life is a growth and an intensification of the Christian life, of the baptismal life. So as religious take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, all Christians are called to live a spirit of poverty, to live chastely, and to live obediently as 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 Christ did, um, to different degrees, of course, and with vows that changes things, that intensifies things. Um, but the, the this life, this life that's lived either, you know, by all Christians or more intensely and devotedly by religious, um, it really we have to remember that in the Easter season exists, the Acts of the Apostles is, occurs after the resurrection chronologically, that this way of living exists, it existed in sort of seminal or seed form during Christ's life, but arises in the wake of the risen Lord. It's in hearing the risen Lord preached that lives are changed, encountering the risen Lord, lives are changed such that it produces this way of discipleship, this way of, um, characterizing what the Christian life looks like. And I think it's important that uh, we recognize that that our life as Christians and, and pursuing Christ uh, isn't 
is it something that we sort of just add on to our list of things that we do already? It's not as if, um, you know, you're, you can be a teacher, a father, a businessman, and a Christian, as if those kind of things had equal weight in one's life. I mean, there, there's a priority here. Our, our devotion, our, our discipleship is first. Our being a Christian is first, and that gives everything else that we are identity. And because of that, the, the call of our Christian life um, necessitates a, a change in our life. If we look at the if we look at the disciples from the Acts of the Apostles, they weren't doing this before. They were they're living this way because they've encountered the risen Lord, because they've they've met Him, and it's necessarily um, demanded a change. We often call this conversion. You know, simply that our lives are changed and, and that our lives are converted. And I think too, I, I'm sure. Um, we've experienced this when we, when we talk to people who might've fallen away from the faith or aren't Catholic or don't believe or these sorts of things that when a lot of time resistance to conversion, perhaps even in our own lives comes not because of some, not because of some sort of theological debate, but because encountering Christ is a critique on our life. And in order to to follow Christ, we often have to admit that we're weak or we're broken or things that we think are good are not quite so good or these sorts of things and amend our life according to Christ with the help of his grace. All the same, this is exactly what's happening in the Acts of the Apostles, that you have these men, these women who have encountered our Lord's grace, our Lord's mercy, and uh, whose lives are radically changed because of it. They can't help but be changed because of, because of their meeting, meeting our Lord. With that, let's turn to our second reading, a reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith to a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the final time. In this you suffer, although now for a little while you may have to suffer through various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is perishable even though tested by fire, may prove to be for praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now yet believe in him, you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everything that St. Peter is, is talking about in, in this letter um, from this sort of testing of one of one's faith from the, you know, being purified from the, the not seeing, but believing and, and not yet having, having that end all the way to the, the end, the goal of our faith as St. St. Peter mentions the salvation of our souls. All of this I think is predicated on how, how he begins this, this section from his letter uh, when he speaks about the relationship between mercy and hope, um, that we 
on, on Divine Mercy Sunday, you know, we look to our Lord who is merciful, but it's not, it's not something that sort of exists in a vacuum. It's, uh, it's, it's related to the Christian life. Our Lord is merciful for a reason. Um, I mean, simply because he is, but also for us for, for a reason. In um, our St. John Paul II instituted Divine Mercy Sunday in 2001, but it was sort of, I don't know, maybe I'm um, making more out of it than it is, but in Two years after he was elected Pope in 1980, he wrote his second encyclical, Dives in Misericordia, or Rich in Mercy. So already, you know, some 20 years before the institution of Divine Mercy Sunday, Pope St. John Paul II was already thinking um, about, about the importance of mercy and, and hope. And in, the, in that encyclical, he writes this, For mercy is an indispensable dimension of love. It is, as it were, love's second name, and at the same time, the specific manner in which love is revealed and affected vis-a-vis the reality of the evil that is in this world. When we think about hope in relation to mercy, hope, is, hope pertains to a future good that's difficult to attain, um, but attainable, and particularly attainable by means of, of God's help. And this is precisely what St. Peter is talking about, about uh, our hope in the salvation of our souls. Our Lord promises our salvation um, through his deeds and through his words and his life, but most particularly through his death and through his resurrection. Uh, and this, this offer in which we hope is a great offer of mercy because we're sinners. And it's only in mercy, um, only in this form of love, as St. Saint, as Saint John Paul II says, that we have any hope to, to hope for our salvation. Mercy is sort of the means and, and by which we are saved, um, our Lord's mercy on, on the cross. There's a religious sister that teaches second grade who was telling me a story about um, one of her students. And the student had uh, befriended a new neighbor that moved in next door, okay? And um, they became very good friends. And you know how little kids are. They, t- they talk about everything without any kind of hesitation. They, they, they don't have all the hangups that uh, adults have, right? Uh, so the second grader says very precociously to his new, to his new friend, um, you know, do you go to church? And so uh, it, it comes up that his new friend, the new neighbor, um, is from a family that um, doesn't go to church. They don't do anything at all. And uh, he, the little boy, was talking about this with his mom. And he says, Mom, uh, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't Timmy's family go to church? And she says, well, you know, there are plenty of people that haven't heard about Jesus. Um, you know, maybe, maybe no one has told him. Uh, and his mother continued speaking and she said, well, you know, there, there are many people that, that, that just haven't seen Jesus. And so faith for them is, is very difficult. And little boy leans in and he says to his mom, but you have seen Jesus, mommy, haven't you? You know, every Sunday in the Eucharist, we see Jesus. And that little precocious second grader just drives home the crux of, of, of the sorrow and the height, right? You know, because we're existing right now in, in this kind of tension um, where, where, we, where, 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 we're, where we're being denied our usual practice of the faith. Uh, and that we know that Christ is coming to us in, in different means, but not in the sacramental means that we're used to. Uh, but there's a confidence that we are, not, we are not without him. Okay, so the point that I wanted, wanted to make is that the little boy understands that it is possible to see Christ even if you didn't live 
just 2000 years ago. That's what I think is so powerful that he under, he understood as a little boy in his faith that there are ways of seeing Christ, you know, especially in the sacraments, that's the highest way. Uh, but Jesus is going to mediate his grace in other ways, uh, you know, through often through other people in our lives, um, now through our personal prayer, uh, that there are ways that we can see Christ and really see him. And to say that doesn't mean to, um, doesn't mean to assent to some kind of insane mysticism or some kind of, some kind of weird view. Like that's a normal Christian thought. That's what we think. We think we see Christ in our lives, that, that we find him in places, that he leads us, that we can meet him, um, that, we, that we commune with him. Um, we, we really see him. Um, and so that line from, that line from St. Peter uh, today just, uh, just brought home that story. And I think that's something for us to continue to meditate and pray on, to ask the Lord, um, help me to see you even in different ways, in different places um, during this time. Okay, so with that, let's um, proceed on. Let's uh, read and reflect on the gospel together. Right. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and bring your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that's so interesting to me about the resurrection of appearances of Jesus is he's so often assuring the disciples um, and saying things to them like that great line that he, be he begins his dialogue with them today, peace be with you. The peace of Christ is really, is really an, an incredible thing. We know that it has to be more than just an emotion, right? Love is more than an emotion. It's an abiding disposition. Okay, so what, what is the peace of Christ? If Jesus is wishing peace, what does that mean? Um, and what is it exactly that he's promising us? Because based on our, our, our current situation, in fact, the entire history of Christianity, even Jesus' own life, peace does not mean going through life without, without any kind of pain. That is not what peace means. Peace does not simply mean the absence of difficulty or, a difficulty or the absence of pain or even the absence of sorrow. 
peace has to be peace has to be something much deeper. And one of the things, you know, there are many, there are many things that could be said here. Um, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to monopolize the tradition, but one of the things that can be said here is peace means being with Christ. That Christ Himself is peace, and that if we're honest with ourselves in our lives, times when we when, we, when we've when we've been looking for our satisfaction in anything except the Lord, that's when we have a lack of peace. And when we have true and genuine and abiding peace in our lives as something, as a real disposition, right? Not just a fleeting emotion, not just a passing thing. It's because we're there with Christ. And so there's this intimate connection between peace and the very presence of the Lord. And I think that's one of the, one of the many reasons, again, plenty of other things could be said here, but that's one of the reasons why when Jesus stands in their midst, he doesn't say to the apostles, like, hey, guys, let's hang. You know, what he, what he says to them is, what he says to them is, peace be with you. You know, let, 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 let everything in your life fade so that all that, all, all that there is, is, um, is me. And I, I, think that, I think that the peace of Christ is that kind of total, um, all-encompassing thing um, that, that allows us, that allows us to, um, to, to really be able to hand over every kind of worry and sorrow and difficulty because Christ is there in his presence uh, with us. I think the evangelist tells us in, in this passage to kind of the, the locus or um, the, yeah, the locus, the, the place where that peace is most readily um, on offer for us, especially mm. when we read this gospel on Divine Mercy Sunday. Um, St. St. John writes, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. When, when John Paul II instituted Divine Mercy Sunday some uh, 19 years ago, in, in uh, the homily that, that Sunday, he said this, he said, the Divine Mercy, this is the Easter gift that the church receives from the risen Christ and offers to humanity. The reason that John Paul II can say that mercy is an Easter gift is because the risen Christ's first actions are to establish his sacramental presence, particularly here with the disciples, with his first priests, with the, the, the first bishops of the church, to establish the sacrament of reconciliation in which we come face to face with the love of the Father, with his mercy that is on, on offer um, in abundance. And this is why in, in this time um, when churches are closed, when the sacraments are impossible or, you know, difficult to, to even get near, why it's so natural for us to suffer, to suffer that loss. Because this is the way that Christ ordinarily and, and for most all of history has, has made himself available to us. Uh, we should feel that absence um, in different ways, but we should, we should feel that absence. And, you know, we'd be incorrect to think um, of the sacraments, including the sacrament of penance as some sort of um, impersonal ritual to which we sort of just have to submit ourselves because the church says so. It's, it's, it's simply not that. But in the sacrament of penance, we, we sort of, we encounter the, the culmination of, of our Lord's mercy. Um, and we receive that in abundance. Um, it's the sacrament that gives us these virtues of faith, hope, as we talked about with the second reading, and love that unite us to Christ, that is the beatific vision. I think one thing, too, that when we talk about mercy, 
we have to be careful here to understand mercy um, and what it is. And we can't confuse that with a sort of relativized notion of tolerance, right? There's a big difference between a sort of a true Christ-like uh, understanding of mercy and as the sort of secular notion of tolerance or being merciful to people. And the great difference is, well, there's a similarity, of course, that they both start by recognizing somebody's um, brokenness, someone's differentness, whatever we want to, however we want to identify it, somebody's fallenness. Uh, but tolerance stops there. Tolerance says, I see you and I'm, that's okay. I'm not going to do anything to help, you know, help heal you or help lead you to healing. Whereas mercy says, I see you and I see the suffering and I see the brokenness and the Lord extends his hand to heal and to, to raise us from that. Tolerance really in the sort of, in the worst kind of secular sense is really uncharitable because it doesn't desire the person's good. It allows them to sort of wallow. But that's not what our Lord does. Our Lord comes through locked doors. He comes again and again. Thomas isn't there. Of course, we have the famous doubting Thomasine. And he returns and he says, you know what? Stick your hand in the wound on my side that you may know my love for you. Same thing in the sacraments. Um, our Lord presented him, Thomas, with this face-to-face -face love and mercy. And he does the same for us. He does the same for us. Uh, the... I've quoted John Paul II a couple of times. And I'm going to one last time from uh, another. I mean, he, this is his, I mean, it's his Sunday in so many ways. He was such a beautiful Pope for in this. Uh, he wrote in, in another encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, he wrote this. In the practice of confession, the church is defending man's right to a personal encounter with the crucified, forgiving Christ. It's so beautiful that this is, this is the sort of, the, the locus of mercy. We know where it is and we know where to find it. Though we may be restricted at this time, um, we are, it's still a gift that we ought to, you know, be thankful for, um, to thank, thank our Lord for such, such an offer of, of divine love and mercy. I have here on my desk, those who choose to watch the episode on YouTube will benefit particularly from the present time because you will both be able to see Father Jacob Bertrand rolling his eyes at me. And the, <laughs> and the holy he's making a face and the holy guard that I'm raising up, which is a, a little a little card of the sacred heart of Jesus, which I like to call the original divine mercy devotion. Huh? The sacred heart, mm -hmm. the original divine mercy devotion. You know, it's not a contest, but it's a divine mercy devotion here, the sacred heart. And on this particular depiction of the sacred heart, the words over the words over the heart say, The heart of Jesus is with me. And then underneath, it says, thy kingdom come. And I bring that up because it goes right along with what Father Jacob Bertrand was saying, that mercy does not mean um, some kind of weak-willed acceptance of my own desire, but mercy means coming to accept what, what God is giving to me. And to say, not, not my will be done, but thy will be done to the Lord. Not my kingdom come, but thy kingdom come. Um, this is why St. Faustina is such a very great saint in the life of the church, uh, because she was able and willing time and time again to hand over uh, great sufferings um, to the Lord and let him do whatever he wanted with it. Uh, one of the things about her life that is um, delightful to me is that she did not like the first image of the merciful Jesus that was painted. Right, so Saint Faustina receives these visions of the merciful Jesus. She sees Jesus coming to her. Right, the famous image with the, with the, um, 
with the uh, two rays coming from his heart. And uh, the painter, according to Faustina, got it wrong. And the, the, first, image, the first image isn't right. Um, I mean, in, in, in a serious way, imagine how, how, how difficult to suffering that would have been to be trying to bring about this, this work, to want people to see Christ as you've seen him, to desire to share it, and, and, to, and to have it be frustrated, to have to um, you know, commission another artist, commission another painting, um, to, to get it right. And so the image that hangs over her tomb in the convent chapel outside of Krakow, the image of the merciful Jesus, um, that says on the bottom, Jesu ufam tobie, Jesus, I trust in you. That's not the first image. That's the second image of the merciful Jesus. And so the Lord will take all of our plans and, um, and, and use them, uh, redirect them, you know, to, to his own glory. And that, that's what his mercy means, accepting, accepting what it is that he wills in a, in a way of superabundance, uh, such that the, the fruits of his love, um, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, like joy and peace, um, so that those fruits will come. That's what, that's, that's what mercy does. Um, it, it allows us to be, to be grateful, to be joyful, to be peaceful, having received it. Any last thoughts, Father? Nope. <laughs> I'll talk down. All right. Well, with I'll that, let's, uh, let's conclude in prayer. Let us pray. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that our reception of this Paschal Sacrament may have a continuing effect in our minds and hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the um, Sunday Lexio episode of God's Planning. You know, we, we're very grateful for those who have given us a rating on um, the iTunes, uh, where the podcasts are, um, or other places. Uh, thank you. Thank you for um, rating the podcast. Please share it. Please share this episode with someone you think might need it. As we've made reference to, um, you can now watch us if that's the sort of thing you want to do um, with, <laughs> with your life. You can see us sitting in front of our computers. Very exciting. Ooh, look at the friars. Use computers. Uh, very interesting. Um, so that's now part of the God's planning plan for evangelization. Um, please know that you are in our continued prayers, um, our prayers at the altar. Uh, please pray for us and for our ministry as we try and extend the mercy of Jesus, the divine mercy. Um, throughout the world. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.